Hello everybody and welcome to another UK Motor Talk Formula One Roundup. I uh, say Roundup rather than a Grand Prix review. We will be doing a uh, quick look back at the 2022 Hungarian Grand Prix, but I think we've got uh, some other news to talk about this week as well. My name is Jim, welcome along. We'll split the podcast into two distinct parts really, given the amount of news that's come out on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday following the race. I'd, uh, I'd held off doing the, the actual race review as the, uh, the amount of news coming out almost by the hour seemed uh, quite alarming. But we'll, uh, we'll cover the race off first. Um, quite, a, uh, quite an eventful Hungarian Grand Prix, an old school track always generally produces um, good entertainment, good passing when there is passing. I think the tight and twisty nature lends itself to any overtake that does happen being, uh, being rather exciting. But we had uh, a bit of a shake-up of the order in Free Practice 3, which was uh, very wet indeed, and uh, topping the timesheets was Nicholas Latifi, so uh, quite possibly heading towards uh, the last few races of his career. But it was nice to see him on top and get a, uh, a good round of applause from the crowd, which seemed to, uh, to cheer him up. Spins galore from the rest of the field, in uh, including Vettel, who'd just recently announced his retirement. Uh, but I, uh, I was going to, uh, to do a brief chat on that now, but I think we'll, uh, we'll leave that to the end of the podcast. Podcast. Into Q1, there was a threat of rain on the horizon. Uh, the Aston Martin mechanics managing to piece Vettel's car back together just in time for the start of, uh, of Q1. Despite topping the timesheets in Free Practice 3, uh, Latifi was unfortunately last when it really mattered in Q1. And we also lost Gasly, uh, Vettel, uh, disappointingly for Aston Martin, Albon and Sonoda. Just really Aston Martin's qualifying woes continuing. They uh, they seem to race well and, and score a few points here or there and always work their way up. But generally when you're starting 18th, 19th, 20th, you're making life very difficult for yourself. So a recovery into 9th or 10th is, uh, is an admirable Sunday's effort but you do get the feeling that if they could just qualify that little bit further up then uh, then maybe they'd be getting a few more points. Into Q2, Perez got a lap deleted and then reinstated again so much mutterings about track limits again this weekend and from previous weekends. It's I thought it was a fairly clear line that they had to cross and that line being an actual line you know physically as well as metaphorically and if uh, if you cross the line then you're outside of the track and that's it but to knock the lap out and then reinstate it again straight away afterwards seemed uh, a little bit odd i think it's probably time they looked at sensors or technology and um you know mount a sensor somewhere outside of the track you know they have uh, well they have the white line plus two meters technically because the cars are two meters wide so all you need is part of the car remaining within the uh, the bounds of the circuit so it can't be that hard to uh, to dot a few sensors around on the curbs rumble strips or the bits just beyond the white line and if uh, if a sensor in the car triggers that then they're off you know I've, uh, I've been on a few track days and they have sensors on the outside of a track and if you run off and run wide there you know it'll be a, a section of the track they don't want you running wide on so they put sensors in and if you trigger the sensor then you get called in it's, it can't be that tricky but there we go so the uh, lap was reinstated so we went out for another run but went slower anyway and as a result of all that he was uh, he was out of qualifying along with uh, Guan Yu Zhou, Kevin Magnussen, Lance Stroll and Mick Schumacher uh, Perez actually complaining about being uh, blocked by Magnussen on his uh, his second and slower run 
Q3, a uh, bit of a scruffy first lap for Leclerc, but Sainz was, was looking reasonably good and under control. But engine problems for Verstappen left him a frustrated 10th. Leclerc's final run was much better, but not enough to, uh, to beat Sainz, who just improved again and um, looked like he was going to be on pole. But from, from absolutely nowhere, George Russell just banged it on pole. I, d- I don't think he said a purple sector, so you know your eye wasn't particularly drawn to him. As the lap was unfolding, normally Sector 1 or Sector 2 flashes up purple, it just catches your attention and uh, the TV switches to that driver. But just from uh, from nowhere, it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> pole position and, uh, and what a way to get it. So he edged out uh, Sainz and Leclerc with uh, Norris in fourth, Ocon fifth, Alonso sixth. Hamilton 7th with DRS issues, Bottas 8th and Daniel Ricciardo in ninth. More on Ricciardo at the end of the podcast. Into the race, uh, so they had uh, power unit changes for both Red Bulls following on from their issues in qualifying. Both out of the pool, so no need for grid penalties or anything like that. But we had just a few spots of rain flicking around as they lined up on the grid. Uh, you could just see a few uh, a few visors with spots of rain on them being uh, being wiped down. So it was uh, tantalising was uh, was the way to describe the weather, I think. But uh, didn't didn't materialise into anything more than a few spots of rain. All generally clean and tidy at the start, apart from uh, Albon and Vettel getting together. Slight bit of contact, so uh, a few bits of front wing going here, there, and everywhere, and uh, an early virtual safety car to tidy that one away. As soon as the uh, the VSC was uh, was removed, Russell pulled a, a great gap and uh, sort of shot off about two two and a half, two point seven, three seconds up the road early on. Looked very composed out front. It's not his first time leading a race, of course. Looked all under control and measured until uh, Sainz started closing up quickly. Got the gap down to around about two seconds, then seemed to hold station there. Going on behind that was a good scrap between the Red Bulls and the Alpines. Verstappen getting past Ocon and Alonso. Perez getting past Alonso in fairly short order. Just in front of them, Lando Norris had Lewis Hamilton and Verstappen in close company with him. Uh, Hamilton getting past on lap 12 and Verstappen following through shortly after. So a, a fairly steady clinical march up the order for Verstappen in the early part of the race. But a bit of an angry radio call complaining of, uh, I think it was clutch slip. It sounded, it sounded like clipping at first, but I think um, when I listened back to it, it was clutch slipping issues. But a sensor adjustment reset seemed to uh, solve the issue for him and he could uh, he could carry on without too many issues. But up front, Russell's soft tyres looked to be falling off around about lap 14-15. Norris, the first of the front runners to blink and come in for a pit stop. Ferrari called Carlos Sainz in, but then Sainz carried on, so not not quite sure if that was a, a dummy, a bluff, or something like that. But whatever, whatever the call was, Sainz didn't come in, but Russell did, as did Verstappen. Very, very close between Russell and Alonso. Russell just getting out in front of Alonso, managing to hang on whilst he was getting the tyres up to temperature. But Sainz did pit a lap later, so whether that that bluff was um, not a bluff and he just didn't hear or didn't make it in time, or the message didn't get through in time. Again, kind of the early part of the strategy unfolding for Ferrari, as his uh, his medium tyres had only lasted one more lap than uh, than the soft tyres on Russell. You'd, you'd think if the car in front of you is on uh, step softer ties, you certainly want to stay out more than one lap longer than they do. But Russell managed to uh, to stay in front of Science throughout the pit stops, and Ocon also managed to get in front of Science as well. 
Hamilton stopped in and emerged seventh. Um, so those those who stayed out, they, they just didn't seem to be able to turn the wick up to overcut those enough who'd stopped first. So although the uh, the longevity was or wasn't there, there, there didn't seem to be the pace in the tyres at the end of, uh, of the stints. Leclerc coming in for his stop uh, ran about lap 22. So Russell resuming the lead of the race and, and again looking fairly comfy, but Leclerc slotting just in front of Sainz. Ocon pitted, emerged alongside uh, Alonso, and um, yeah, it seems to be uh, no no love lost between those two, if there was any in the first place, but uh, Alonso not too happy with Ocon's defence, and, and quite justifiable, I, uh, I think so. It seems um, Ocon costing the Alpine team maybe a few points there by scrapping and defending a bit too robustly. I think the first person you want to beat in Formula 1 is always your teammate, but I think the needs to, um, I think Ocon maybe needs to... Uh, just just rein in the aggression when it does come to being his teammate ever so slightly but uh, again more on uh, teammates and Alonso later on up front Leclerc had been closing on Russell very close by back lap 28 and, and for the next few laps it was uh, it was a really good scrap some very robust defending from George Russell DRS playing its part but uh, Russell just able to place the car very very well and at this stage Russell just just looked like a man who wanted to win his first Grand Prix Leclerc maybe looking like a, a man who's thinking about the championship and bagging some points better to take 18 than go for 25 and possibly end up with nothing but Leclerc did eventually get past uh, around the outside of turn one just heading into lap 31 it was around about this point that Sonoda went for his spin looked very very slippery and it's uh, the thought was maybe there's a little bit of at that stage and we uh, we were just seeing drops of rain appearing on camera lenses the angle that they were at and the angle they were looking through maybe making it look a bit worse than it was so just as we thought it uh, it might get exciting with the weather Verstappen came in on lap 39 for a set of fresh mediums so Red Bull clearly weren't concerned about incoming threat of rain at this stage Russell and Leclerc followed in very shortly afterwards and the the moment it really probably fell apart for Ferrari it was putting Leclerc onto the hard tyres whereas Russell went on to the mediums. Much has been said about the Ferrari pit wall and the Ferrari strategy following the race and, and in the days since. I, I, I don't know, it's, it's like Ferrari are... I'm not sure if scared is the right word or just that that threat of, uh, of accountability if you get the call wrong leads to maybe conservative calls or the wrong calls or just not not looking at the bigger picture enough but it was quite clear from early on in the race that the Alpines had struggled massively on the hard tyres uh, it was quite clear from free practice one and free practice two that there was absolutely no pace in the hard tyres at all and and free practice one and two were you know we had track temperatures of of late 40s maybe even early 50s and the Sunday was was much cooler track temperature in the 20s and 30s so if if you can't get the hard tyres switched on and working when it's 50 degrees you're certainly not going to get it switched on and working when it's uh, when it's 30 degrees. As it happened, Verstappen uh, managed to undercut Russell and, uh, and got past Leclerc in, in fairly short order. Leclerc just with, with no pace in, uh, in his tyres at all. So much so that Verstappen was able to manage a quick 360. I mean, Verstappen has morphed into a, uh, into a real championship driver this year and, and said many a time, well, you take the points when you can take the points and execute things to the best of your ability and, and just execute the best you can and don't worry if it's second and see where you are at the end of the year. But it seemed even like, well, if you're going to have a, have a spin halfway through a race, well, execute the perfect 360-degree spin 
don't lose too much time at all and, and carry on. It did allow uh, Leclerc to get back through, Perez and Hamilton closing right up on, uh, on Verstappen and, and giving Lewis Hamilton the opportunity to, uh, to put a move on Perez. But within a couple of laps, Verstappen had caught back and, uh, and passed Leclerc again. So it's, um, you could almost say it's making life harder for himself or, or doing it for fun at that stage, but managed to get past Leclerc again and, and off into the lead. Didn't really hear too much out of Verstappen after that. Then we had uh, Stroll and Ricardo getting together. Ricardo on the uh, the hard tyres, seemingly struggling just like the Ferraris were. Just understeered into uh, into Lance Stroll around turn two, and uh, Daniel Ricardo duly getting a five second penalty for his efforts there. Uh, Russell had uh, closed up slowly but surely to Leclerc, so got within DRS range around about lap 52 as uh, as Hamilton pitted from the lead. Russell then going around the outside uh, into turn one on uh, lap 54 on Leclerc. Great move around the outside there, um, but Leclerc just struggling on uh, on those hard tyres. No pace whatsoever as they brought him in for a, a set of fresh soft tyres, admitting defeat there, I think. Lewis had uh, changed on to soft tyres and was on a charge. Verstappen and Russell looking like they're just nursing their tyres, just managing their medium tyres till the end. Hamilton powering past Sainz, uh, just a few laps to catch him past Russell into, uh, into P2. With rain still on the radar, Bottas ground to a halt with an engine issue, so we had a, uh, a virtual safety car, which was uh, quite good news. I think it was just just stringing the race out that little bit longer, hoping we uh, we might get the last lap or two um, in a uh, in a downpour. But uh, Russell reporting bits of rain on uh, came over the radio, reported that it was raining, but not not quite to be. Verstappen just tippy towing around the last lap to hold on from Hamilton and Russell making it another double podium for Mercedes. So the finishing order was Verstappen from Hamilton, George Russell in third, Carlos Sainz in fourth, Perez fifth. He'd worked his way up rather well. Um, sort of a fairly quiet race, but a fairly solid race nonetheless. Few rumours floating around afterwards that Perez was actually running the, uh, the post-spa or the spa spec floor. Some changes on the flexing and the rules that the FIA are bringing in from the Belgian Grand Prix onwards. The rumour, although not confirmed by Red Bull, was that Perez was running the floor that would be compliant with the new rules, so to speak. So maybe just to get a handle on it and see how the car was going on. So it'd be interesting to see if uh, if the new rules do cause Red Bull and Ferrari to drop back a bit. I say new rules, new way of measuring the compliance with the rules is probably more accurate. If it tightens things up at the top, then okay, but not sure on that. Things seem quite exciting as they are, really. Norris came home in 7th, Alonso and Ocon 8th and 9th, Vettel just making it into the points in P10, Lance Stroll just behind him in P11, and then Gasly, Ricardo limped home in 13th, Mick Schumacher 14th, Guan Yuzhou in 15th, Albon 16th, Magnussen in 17th, Latifi 18th, and Sonoda in 19th, so all but Bottas making it to the chequered flag. And then all of the events of afterwards. We said at the uh, the beginning of the podcast we'd have a little chat about Vettel and, and his retirement and his career, etc. I was going to do a, a bit of a, an ode to Vettel, but I think we'll try and cover that one. We've got the summer break, so we'll maybe do a uh, bit of a discussion about Vettel in the main podcast, perhaps, and we'll get the uh, views of my uh, colleagues on uh, on Mr. Vettel. But what's happened afterwards is has uh, just all gone a bit mental, really. So we had. Vettel announcing his uh, his retirement, which is um, you know good for him and his environmental issues and his his human rights issues and his his views on sexuality and on people's right to live 
how they want to live, love who they want to love and, and just exist and, and just be human is, is wonderful. And he's using his platform and his, his canvas to, uh, to paint a picture and speak some very wonderful messages and, and you know, get, get these issues that need to be addressed and need to be spoken about out into the light and on show for everybody to have a chat about. So good for him, I say, and more power to him. And I, I must admit, if you'd, uh, if you'd won four championships on the bounce and then you're struggling and qualifying last and maybe scraping into the points probably isn't that exciting. I'm sure Aston Martin have got plenty of things on the horizon and there's lots of investment going into the factory to, uh, to build the team for the future. But how long is that going to take and, and can Vettel wait that long? Does he want to wait that long really? So he'll disappear off and there was uh, talk from Domenicali of having Vettel joining the, uh, uh, I don't know, poacher turned, uh, turned gamekeeper. Uh, maybe is that quite quite the right phrase for that? Not really sure, but uh, join the join the uh, the higher up ranks and with a focus on environmental and sustainability issues, perhaps his run out in Nigel Mansell's ninety two Williams with the red five on it that we saw at Silverstone a few weeks back is highlighting the the use of sustainable fuel. So if uh, if he can use his voice for good in this world, then more power to him. But lovely to see the human being that Vettel's turned into. I think there was a, a certain amount of pantomime villainy when he was at Red Bull and winning nine races on the trot and four championships in a row. It was uh, it was very easy for him to be the villain. But since then, Vettel, the person, has emerged as a, as a wonderful person, a wonderful human being, and a, a very friendly and lovable and likeable, joking, happy character. And the, the outpouring of the messages from his fellow drivers tells you all, all you need to know about the man. And uh, even, you know... Teammates he'd had run-ins in the past with Mark Webber had wished him all the best, and they've uh, those two have clearly patched things up and and made up and get on well these days. So uh, good luck to him, and uh, and fingers crossed Aston Martin can make a few strides forward for the uh, the rest of the season, and um, and he can get the odd good result, but uh, maybe not, I suspect. But I think his uh, his legacy as a human being will live on just as strong as his legacy as a driver. That sort of kicked off uh, all manner of events afterwards within uh, within a very short space of time. Aston Martin announced that Fernando Alonso was going to replace Sebastian Vettel. We'd had a few names banded around as possible replacements for him. Ricardo with his struggles at McLaren, could he be a good fit there? Mick Schumacher was a name that Vettel had chucked into the ring. Uh, of course, he's, he's mentoring and... and very good friends and clearly a fan of the young German, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was Alonso who was uh, who was swiftly announced. Uh, a reasonable statement of intent there, I think, from Aston Martin to, to sign somebody of Alonso's caliber. Alonso, albeit in his forties, it uh, it gives me hope as I'm rapidly approaching my forties within uh, within a week actually. That uh, if uh, if Alonso can still perform at the level he is, then uh, then maybe there's hope for me, and maybe I'm not going to all fall apart as soon as I hit forty. But I dare say he's in better physical and uh, and mental shape than I am but will uh, be interesting to see it's an interesting move going from a team that's that's fourth on the grid to a team that's currently ninth on the grid or ninth in the standing should I say um, the ninth quickest car is it, it but it's is it for the next couple of years it's with an eye on the future I think Alpine had maybe slightly upset Alonso by only offering a one-year deal. I think Alonso wanted a longer deal and, and to not sign Alonso for a couple of years. He took that maybe as a slight on his, his longevity. So he uh, has made the move. That, as it appeared, solved a, uh, a problem that Alpine were having. 
in What Do We Do With Oscar Piastri, the, uh, the young Australian has been um, tearing up the lower formulas and, and winning F3 and F2 at the first time of asking and, and doing rather well and making some very big waves and early ladder career, you'd have to say, a, a standout talent just as much as Charles Leclerc or George Russell, people like that. So um, it was uh, almost a foregone conclusion. Oh, well, that solves the problem of what do Alpine do with Piastri next year? There was uh, talk of him going to Williams for a year, have Alonso see out one more year and then drop Piastri in as Alonso's replacement, which, uh, yeah, Alonso clearly wasn't too keen on, on just being used to keep Piastri's seat warm. So uh, they duly announced Oscar Piastri as their driver for 2023. And then Oscar Piastri very quickly put out a press release or put out a Twitter statement and a release as well, I think, saying Alpine had made this announcement without his knowledge, without his consent. And uh, more so, the announcement was untrue and he would not be driving for Alpine in 2023. So if, uh, if Alpine want to announce me as their race driver for next season, I can categorically state it will be without my knowledge or my permission, but I will very happily accept and I will be driving for uh, for Alpine in 2023. So a v- very, very, very odd situation. There's the shades of Michael Schumacher, Benetton and Jordan um 1992 flashbacks for me here or more recently jensen button 2004 5 6 with the williams and bar wrangles here there's uh, there's clearly a lot to unpick but there's clearly something that piastri and piastri's management have got in their pocket that that means he was quite comfortable to come out and very publicly say to alpine thanks but no thanks and actually sod off it was uh, it was not too blind it was a very emphatic this is not going to happen so he clearly thinks or knows or believes he has something better, very well buttoned up. I, I think even if you had a better offer on the table, unless that deal was signed, sealed and delivered, I don't think I'd be putting out a, uh, a Twitter statement saying thanks but no thanks. That's kicked more and more rumours round as to where Piastri will be for next year. And in, in the last day or two, the rumour mill has gone absolutely nuts that Piastri has signed for McLaren and will be replacing Daniel Ricciardo, struggling as he has for uh, for last year and this year, despite the uh, the highs of a Monza win. The uh, the frustration is clear, I think, on both sides. It's, it's not doing Ricciardo any good and it's not doing McLaren any good. But like Ricciardo said, he's never left a win on the table and you give him a winning car and, and he will win. It's That's never been in, in doubt. His talent, his speed, his bravery has never been in doubt. The car didn't suit him last year and doesn't suit him this year. But he had been making progress and, and getting closer and getting on top of things and getting things more to his way of liking. So there was very clear progress there. Dropped off a bit, certainly in the second half of the race in Hungary. I think that was more to do with the hard tyres. I know that Norris went on the hard tyres as well, but the characteristics Ricardo needs out of a car certainly aren't there on the hard tyres. Certainly not there in the McLaren, but definitely not on the hard tyres. So I don't know if, if I'm, I'm a big fan of McLaren, but I'm a very, very, very big fan of Daniel Ricardo. But he, he has a contract for 2023 to drive for McLaren. He'd made a very public statement committing next year to the team and, and reaffirming his commitment to the cause and to the sport. And, uh, and saying how he was working on things and, and wasn't going to give up and he's not a quitter. And if, uh, if McLaren have signed Piastri on a, on a race deal for next year, then um, it, it'll be interesting to see how they try and extricate themselves from their obligations to Daniel Ricciardo. But I would imagine, I think it is fairly as simple as, OK, here's the money we would have paid you, but you're not driving the car. If you're employed as a, as a driver 
I'm not sure if the uh, the contract extends to being Zach Brown's personal chauffeur or you drive if we ask you to or not really sure of the ins and outs on that but I think ultimately if uh, if they just say to him well we're going to pay you the money anyway but you're not racing I don't think there's too much that could be done about that and ultimately if somebody paid me 20 million dollars not to do something I probably wouldn't do it either especially if uh, if it was clear the team didn't want me to uh, to be there so we'll uh, we'll see what develops over the next couple of days. Will Ricardo end up back at Alpine? I think Alpine have um, gone from having a, a problem of uh, a Fernando Alonso double world champion in their car and a young hot shoe in Piastri waiting in the wings and, and the problem being running out of seats to put them in. You know, they have too many high quality drivers and not enough seats to put them in was, was their problem last week. And they have an empty seat and no drivers to put in it this week. So they've uh, they've gone from having the pick of the bunches to having no drivers at all. And well, apart from Esteban Ocon, but um, being uh, being a little bit embarrassed about that, I dare say. So yes, it would be interesting to uh, to see what plays out over the next few days. Um, I suppose if I was a betting man, I uh, I think an Alpine return for Daniel Ricciardo is most likely and Oscar Piastri to appear alongside Lando Norris next year. That seems to put pretty much everybody in a race seat if, uh, you know, ultimately for, for Ricardo, if the McLaren experiment hasn't worked much as, uh, as he seemed a good fit with the team and to be having a nice time away from the track, the, the results haven't come on the track. So if uh, if Ricardo went back to uh, to Alpine, as um, he'll, he'll be familiar with the team from his Renault days there. Certainly didn't leave on bad terms, but it was, uh, I think it was left as unfinished business but uh, Alpine do need to move relatively swiftly to get a, uh, a decent top-level driver in there if they're going to go from where they are now fourth and, and try and challenge even further up the grid. It's uh, it's a big leap from where they are now to uh, to Ferrari, Red Bull or Mercedes pace, but if they're going to push on and, and drive forwards, they uh, they need that top-level driver in, uh, in the number one seat to try and push them forwards. And it'll be interesting to see how the uh, Alonso to Aston Martin experiment unfolds. Alonso, maybe not famed for his uh, his wise team moves or uh, he always seems to be in the right team but at the wrong time whether he'll uh, he'll do a couple of years there and, and the results won't quite come and, and then he'll call it time and they'll flourish in the time afterwards you know as I said he's, uh, he's certainly in uh, in top form fighting and quick as ever but how long that can carry on for can he be still be performing at that level when he's 44 45 we will have to wait and see so it's uh, it's going to be interesting over the next few days but uh, if there are any updates we'll uh, we'll no doubt talk about that in uh, in the main show and um, we are at UK Motor Talk pretty much everywhere. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, we've got a four-week summer break for Formula One now. So next time out, we're at Belgium. Uh, fantastic track, fantastic race. Um, although hopefully the weather is a bit better than last year. So we'll uh, we'll see what merry-go-rounds have, uh, have finally come to halt in the summer break, if indeed they do. In the meantime, take care, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.